From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with my friend and colleague, Adam Turnquist. Adam, how are you today? Hey, not too bad. Getting a little sad that summer's over, but at least football starts next week. So getting excited for that as well. I got to tell you, um, the markets might not have as challenging of a week as we're going to have in the Bookbinder household because we have to get the kids up for school for the first time. School starts <laughs> here in Massachusetts on Wednesday. So I don't know how you go from sleeping till 11 to sleeping till 6 overnight. But if anybody has any ideas, let me know. Yeah, I, I would suggest coffee, but I don't think you can do that quite yet for your kids. Nope. Teenagers, I don't think that's the best idea. So, no. <laughs> yeah, maybe people can put uh, suggestions in the comments on YouTube uh, when this is posted. So it, it is Monday, August 28th, 2023, as we're recording this. Here's our agenda for this week. We've got um, a good week for stocks to talk about last week. Broke the three-week losing streak for the S&P and actually had an even stronger week for the NASDAQ. Uh, the big well, there were two big events probably for, for markets last week, NVIDIA's earnings and uh, Jackson Hole. So um, we'll provide some takeaways on both, but primarily on uh, Jackson Hole, the big Fed uh, symposium. Next, we'll, we'll highlight some charts. That's your thing, Adam. Charts to watch. Uh, and then finally, preview the week ahead. And it's actually a really busy week. You might think at the end of the summer, things would be quiet, but no, not at all, because <laughs> we have the ISM, the jobs report, uh, core inflation, uh, and there's some other stuff going on too that we'll we'll get to later. So uh, let's let's jump right in. So the uh, S&P 500 was up 0.8% last week, breaking that uh, through losing streak. The NASDAQ, I mentioned, did better, up 2.3%. Uh, the gains were led by tech and consumer discretionary. And actually, if you look at the biggest contributors to those gains, you actually see two mega cap tech names. You see NVIDIA, uh, which reported uh, results last week up solidly, up 4% last week. And then you have uh, Tesla up uh, about uh, 10% last week. So those were really I mean, two, the two biggest drivers of the um, you know the sector leadership. But I think the, the biggest driver of the market's gains last week, Adam, would, was yields. Right. We had all the attention on the Fed. We had a spike in yields earlier in the week. Then yields came back down late in the week. And, um, you know, you see the bond gains. You'll see the bond gains on the next slide. But um, markets really liked that uh, that down move in yields at the end of the week. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at the longer duration yields, you know, the 10 year or even the long bond that was getting Pretty high. We're starting to talk about multi-year highs or multi-decade highs for the 10-year. They backed off that on Friday. It certainly helped tech, as you mentioned, lead the way for the market. I think the sector alone contributed to over half of the S&P 500's gain last week. Yeah, big week for tech. You know, I've seen some notes, you know, people talking about how tech hasn't been interest rate sensitive recently, which is true, right? I mean, tech generally has performed well over the last several months as the um, 10-year yield has has, has risen uh, quite a bit. So, um, I mean, you probably could attribute that to the artificial intelligence enthusiasm, right? So tech has really been driven by AI more so than by 
uh, by rates. But if rates move down, that should still help uh, help tech and the other big uh, big growth sectors. So that's something to watch. I also um, you know want to point out you know emerging markets actually had an okay week. If you take out uh, China, some of the other emerging markets in Latin America or even other uh, Asian countries, India, uh, South Korea, right? Taiwan, we saw some pretty solid performance out of those markets. So, you know, we we still like domestic more than emerging. We still like developed international uh, better than emerging, but uh, there are certainly some areas of emerging that are doing uh, pretty well here recently. So anything else you want to um, uh, call out on uh, on the uh, global equity performance, Adam, or should we keep moving? Yeah, I mean, just on the, the global side, China, just the overall disappointment. You can see the Hang Seng for the month down 7.5%, the CSI 300 down 5%. If you think back in the beginning of the year, there was a lot of enthusiasm over this reopening theme. And so far, it's pretty much been sputtering ever since. Of course, policymakers in China have tried to reignite that rally, but failed. They just announced over the weekend, basically, they were cutting some of the stamp duty on trading. So basically making it cheaper for uh, trading activity in China. And they were slowing some of the IPO activity. Market initially reacted positively, but gave up some of those gains overnight into this morning session. So I think the market's still waiting for more in terms of policy than what they've delivered so far. Yeah, good good point. That was big news uh, over the weekend, certainly. But uh, no bazooka. Markets are looking That's for the a new bazooka. the new word trending now the bazooka word exactly if it's not a bazooka it's not stimulus so uh, yeah the the gains kind of fizzled out uh, in uh, China and Hong Kong on on Monday uh, so turning to fixed income and commodities I mean so the energy sector was a little bit weak because oil was down uh, but um, really the big story here on on uh, this chart is the bond market gains right the uh, the valuations for equities need lower yields for support, right? Now that earnings season's over, you're not gonna get much support from new earnings information. Now, granted earnings season was great relative to expectations, but what's the next catalyst? Uh, and, uh, you know, that's gonna support these high valuations and it, it might be rates. So until rates come back down, until the market clearly sees a pause, right? And we get maybe inflation uh, a little bit lower than it is now, we think it's going to be tough for for stock valuations to uh, to expand. So that's my takeaway from from looking at the bond side of this. What do you think, Adam? Anything else here uh, worth highlighting? Gold. Maybe? No, I think the the one that ties into the commodity markets is really the dollar. That's a chart that I'm watching closely. Sure. Been trading higher. Had this relief rally in the dollar. We're starting to see a little more technical progress. Not quite enough to make the call for a bottom, but we're getting close to that level. That would certainly act as a headwind for the commodity space. But on the flip side, if we start to see that roll over, definitely would be beneficial to that overall commodities complex, especially on the precious metals. So watching gold and or gold and silver there closely, they're near inflection points this week. Yeah, the, the strength in precious metals is interesting because real yields have been going up, inflation-adjusted yields have been going up, and typically that hurts gold. But, uh, you know, you see here precious metals up two and a half percent last week. So gold showing some resilience uh, in, in the face of a higher dollar and higher uh, real interest rates. So that that's something certainly to uh, 
to watch. Uh, let, let's transition to Jackson Hole, and um, this is actually where we can promote our weekly market commentary on LPL.com, which is um, essentially Jackson Hole takeaways. And um, you know, this chart I, I call the um, the Fed break something chart. Okay, <laughs> because uh, you have these crises in the past, and the Fed hikes rates. Um, you know, just to stave off inflation and then, you know, drive us uh, kind of over a cliff, right? And certainly a lot of people think that's going to happen uh, this time still, even though we haven't had much evidence of it. So, um, you know, that's that's how I would characterize this chart. We still have to be watchful of the Fed breaking something. But without any evidence, I mean, we're watching the stock market, the bond market, we're watching economic data. We're really not seeing any any signs that anything is is breaking just yet. And frankly, uh, a lot of economists keep pushing out their expectations for recession. You know, coming into this year, we thought we'd be be in one by the second half. Now the data is so strong. You know, it might be early 2024 uh, before we see any kind of an economic uh, contraction. So, um, you know, that that's kind of setting this up for how we're thinking about the Fed. We're certainly watching for. Um, you know, signs of of cracks in uh, in the economy. Certainly, the consumer is facing some pressure, a little bit more pressure uh, than it did in in the first half in terms of you know higher interest rates flowing through, drawing down excess savings, uh, and then soon we'll restart uh, student loan payments. So, uh, you know, the pressure is starting to build, but but the economic data has been so good that it it, it just hasn't mattered, frankly, and we might get. You know, three or four percent GDP growth quarter in, uh, in in Q3 based on the strong start. So th this chart is, um, you know, we just talked about real yield. So this chart basically is making the point that the Fed is getting tighter, even if they don't uh, cut rates or, I'm, I'm sorry, hike rates, right? So this is the, um, you know, the PCE deflator, which is their preferred inflation measure, in orange, and it's come way down off of its peak. Right. And then you see the Fed funds rate in gray, which has come, of course, way up. It's one of the fastest rate hiking cycles you've ever seen. So the gap between the Fed funds and the Fed's preferred inflation measure is getting bigger as that inflation rate falls. So even if the Fed stays higher for longer, right, they're at five and a quarter, they may go five and a half, um, probably go five and a half. Even if um, they stay there, while inflation comes down, they're actually getting tighter, okay? So this is really the case for a pause. So we think the Fed is done, but at Jackson Hole, they told us they're gonna be data dependent. So we may get a hike in uh, in, in um, November. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but um, you know, this makes the case that that maybe they're done already. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I think we're that's the message from the market, but it's pretty close. It's not a clear message when you look at whether it's Fed funds futures or whether two years trading right now. I think that's where we would lean, you know, based on that data, at least. But it's close. I think we'll see what happens with data between now and September, the September meeting or even the November meeting. But I think the big picture is that the the rate hiking cycle is is near the end whether it's a pause now and one more or we're officially at the pause point absolutely 
So we're, we're just about done. And then that should be a catalyst for lower rates once the market prices that that pause uh, uh, fully in. I think right now, uh, Fed funds futures are only about 35, 40% chance of a of another hike. Yeah, I think the equity market's saying close enough, whether it's another 25, does it really matter in the big picture? The fact that that's likely or hopefully the end of the rate hiking cycle, if we do get one more additional hike, I think that's the applause at least we've seen for, for part of this year with equity markets. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be watching the 10 year, you know, that's probably more important than whether we get, you know, one more rate hike or, or, or two at this point. Uh, I know you have the 10 year yield as one of your charts to watch, Adam. So, uh, you know, at this point, I'll just turn it over to you to walk through uh, these five charts that you think are important for investors to consider. The, the first yeah. one, continuing the Jackson Hole theme. Yeah, we'll continue on that theme. We just put some numbers around it to quantify the importance of Jackson Hole, what takeaways the markets had over the last 20, uh, well, from 1992 to 2022. So we ran the numbers basically and looked at how the S&P 500 performed after the start of the Jackson Hole Symposium based on that Friday speech that typically, um, well, for this year, it's obviously Jerome Powell. And you can see here for the market, it's really more headlines than headwinds for equity markets. You can see the S&P up a week later on average by 0.2%, a bit more mixed when you compare average returns and median returns one month out. But three months later, average returns, you're up 2.6%. You're positive 81% of the time, roughly. I think really it's not necessarily a catalyst. I think it's just more of a passing of the event risk overall and that removal of uncertainty surrounding Jackson Hole that suggests you know the market's typically higher. So that's really the the key message here. You know that that stocks tend to move higher after Jackson Hole. And then when you look at seasonality at this point too, we're coming into September. That's the worst month for the S and P 500 going back to 1950. Things do improve also in October and November both. Pretty strong months for the market. The S and P five hundred next. Where do you think? Yeah, we're going? there we go. Yeah, so when we look at the the technical setup here for the broader market in the S and P five hundred, we really shouldn't be too surprised that we're seeing a little bit of a pullback here. If you think about the market coming into August, we were overbought. We ran into overhead resistance right at forty six hundred. That's that red bar or red line going across the top of this chart, and the pullback has caused some technical damage. You can see we've violated the emerging uptrend coming off the March lows. We took out the 50-day moving average as well. But I would say overall, it has been a relatively limited. You can see on the middle panel, when we look at market breadth, we look at how many stocks are above their 200-day moving average. Still have over half the S&P holding up above their 200-day. When we're looking for support for the market right now for this week, or for the remainder of this pullback, we'll call it. We do see downside support at 4,300 or near 4,300. That goes back to those August highs of last year. If we break that, there's really no need to panic. We still have additional support coming in at 4,200. That goes back to prior highs and lows set over the last year. That also lines up pretty close to this longer-term uptrend off those October lows. So when you think about this confluence of support in this 4,200 to 4,300 range, the fact that we're still above an uptrend, a rising 200-day moving average, and all of the money sitting on the sidelines in money market funds, 
We think that's probably a logical spot for a rebound in equity markets in a spot where that buy the dip crowd would come back in. Our worst case scenario playbook in terms of on the technical side would be maybe a pullback down to that 200 day moving average at 41.45. That would be either I think around a 10 or 11 percent uh, correction. That's completely normal within the context of a bull market or really any type of drawdown within a calendar year as well. So don't panic. Wait for that support to be found. We think that would probably be at least technically a good entry point if you did miss that first half of the rally this year. So it, it's as if the more support you have, the higher the likelihood that it holds and that exactly. you buy the dip crowd to come in. Okay, that's that's a really important point. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I'm actually comforted by the fact that all of these support levels are at a 10% correction or less, right? Right. And, and so if you think about- From the recent peak of, anyway, the, the uh, 4,600 or so level. Yeah. And the, the selling pressure, it's been mostly on, on volume that has been below average. We haven't had these major panic moves in the market. If you look at the next slide, you can look at the composition of breath at the sector level. So here we break down every sector within the S&P 500, and we look at how many stocks are above their 200-day moving average. And you can see the theme here is that the offensive or more cyclical sectors are holding up better than the defensive sectors. Energy sticking out, you have 87% of energy stocks above their 200-day moving average. Keep in mind, back in the June timeframe, there was less than 5% of energy stocks above their 200-day. So pretty Wow. Notable participation within that sector. Tech is holding up well, even though it's underperforming this month. That was one of the most overbought sectors coming into August. Industrials, materials, you can see consumer discretionary, all doing quite well in terms of overall breadth. And what we haven't seen is a shift into some of the more defensive sectors. You can see utilities actually sticking out as the worst performing based on market breadth. Healthcare, 42%, and even staples. There's some of the lowest sectors there that are definitely more defensive. So we haven't had this flight to quality play out at the sector level. I think that's a pretty good sign for the market as we look ahead in terms of the, the severity of this pull down or pullback. You know, I think it speaks to the fact that it could be more of a garden variety than, than anything that would lead to a kind of a market top. Yeah, certainly for utilities, you'd have to think that the rise in rates has been a headwind. Uh, so that makes sense. But when we had a 4%, well, a little more than 4%, 4.5% pullback in the S&P, we, we didn't see this, you know, flight to safety, this, you know, defensive um, market or anything like that. It was it was really just kind of managed. I mean, you call the garden variety pullback. It was, it was just kind of managed calmly uh, by the market, pretty orderly sell-off um, you know, over, over the past several weeks. Does it, so does that tell us that, you know, if we do take another leg down, that, that that next leg down is likely to be calm as well? I think so. When you know, when you look at overall just the 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 factors in the pullback, you know, we've still still holding up holding up above the longer term uptrend. We're still above our, our key 200 day moving average. The fact that tech still has three quarters of the sector above their 200 day moving average, you know, you really need to take out tech and some of these other heavyweight sectors of the SP 500 to get to more of a severe drawdown in the market. And we're not seeing that at all, at least in the data that we're looking at. Yeah, consumer discretionary, one of the biggest sectors and very diverse. So good to see that up over 50%, even though we've had several uh, disappointing retail earnings reports 
uh, over the last uh, week or two. So uh, pretty good, pretty good breadth there, all things considered. So let's keep uh, moving. Next, uh, this is the VIX, which yeah. is an implied volatility based on op the options market. So this isn't really telling us about anything right this moment. It's telling us about what the market's pricing in for uh, for next month, right? Yeah, it's the 30-day implied move for the S&P 500. And I think the message when we look at the VIX is that the panic button has not been pushed. Really, you're seeing a pretty orderly move here on the VIX. And it really just the, the move we've seen, if you look at where the VIX was trading over the summer months, we were well below the historical average, just below 20. So we were down in the, the 14s, we'll call it for the VIX. And the VIX is typically a mean reverting instrument, not so much a trend following or a, a trending type of security. It's used to hedge risk and position trade. But the fact that we were just kind of mean reverting back toward the 200-day moving average and not seeing these huge spikes, those would be the panic buttons that we saw last year. You can see that I highlighted in the red circles where you have a sharp move higher on the VIX. So far, you know, the VIX has, has come off those lows, but you're still below the 200-day. You're still below your long-term average. I think really just does speak to this pullback being orderly right now. Not a lot of, of fear in the marketplace, at least implied by the, the CBOE volatility index here. Yeah, I think, you know, over the last, uh, I don't know, call it year, <laughs> I've been really surprised at the, the move lower in the VIX. Right. The investors, I mean, we had that little bit of a uh, a jump back in March, right, when the banks failed. But just generally, um, it's been calming <laughs> to see the market not get too worried about volatility. Now, you could take the other side and say it's too complacent. Uh, but, um, you know, th this this measure sometimes sniffs out trouble. Right, Adam? And, and it's just not it's just not seeing it right now. Yeah, and there's there's some caveats to that, of course, with the introduction of zero day to expiry options last month, not the introduction, but the addition of two new days into the calendar week. So instead of hedging in the yeah. VIX, a lot of those zero day to expiration options are being used. That's where a lot of volume is. But overall, I, I think you can make the message here that there's really no major signs of impending trouble here, at least over the next 30 days for the VIX. I think it's a, a good sign for you know, for this current pullback that we're seeing in the market. Yeah, and certainly a lower VIX uh, should support stock valuations. And even though valuations have come in a little bit, uh, partly because rates have gone up, right? Um, you know, the equity risk premium makes stocks look a little more expensive here. Uh, but you also have a pretty good earnings season providing some support uh, for valuation. So all this kind of fits together and, and tells us that Valuations are fair here for stocks, even though the market or many people out there are are saying they're still uh, uh, quite overvalued. So, uh, speaking of the ten-year yield, um, here's here's that chart. So, Adam, we actually touched, uh, I think, a multi-decade high in, in the ten-year yield last week. Uh, yeah, you know, we above brief, briefly breached that October intraday high at four thirty-four on the 10 year. So we're below it. We subsequently pulled back. I think that was a, a good sign for the market. When you think about the sequence of events last year and how the market bottomed, 
It's no coincidence that the 10-year topped out right around that 434 level back in October. The fact that we're challenging that, we're above the rising 200-day moving average and starting to trend higher on the 10-year is a bit of a concern. I call it uncomfortably high. And you can see over the last, call it six months at this point or five months, how correlations have changed. When you compare correlation between the S&P 500 and 10-year yields, for most of the summer and even call it early spring, the market was able to absorb higher rates. You can see yields are moving higher as the market was moving higher. That's that bottom panel in the green. But as things move too much too fast, that spills over into equity markets a little bit too much for them to absorb this jump that we've seen in the 10-year. And that's what we've seen play out in August with a notable you know, 50 basis point change in the 10-year over the last, call it month, month and a half. But I think the good sign, we haven't broke out yet. Some of the momentum indicators that we like, one of them is RSI. We're seeing a small divergence, meaning yields are moving higher, but we're not seeing momentum confirm new highs. So a lower low in that RSI indicator does suggest maybe some of that upside momentum is fading a little bit. That's typically what you'll see at a market top. Certainly can't make that call here on the 10-year, but does raise a question over the sustainability of that upside momentum. So keep an eye on that 434 level for the week ahead. That's going to be a key area for the 10-year to hold below, I think, for this equity market rally to or this, this pullback to, to maintain its uh, relatively shallow um, pullback so far in the market. Yeah, bond yields are so important for so many reasons. Uh, the uh, you know, we don't want to be in a position where stocks fall and bonds fall, right? And that's kind of where we were the past few weeks, last week, uh, notwithstanding. So, uh, you know, I think going forward, even though, you know, the LPO research view is that we'll be, things will be a little choppy maybe in the near term, uh, you know, around the seasonality, uh, which is challenging. And, you know, as the market kind of figures out whether we're actually going to get a pause or whether it's here or not, uh, and, and and all of that, and we we get sort of the tenure yield to settle down. But once all those things start cooperating, uh, we, you know, we think we can get a rally later in the year where stocks fall and where stocks rise and bonds rise uh, together. So maybe that correlation works for us. Uh, regardless, you know, bonds look like a really good opportunity here when you can get, you know, yields north of five percent on high quality bonds. Uh, but um, you know, the other piece of the bond equation is is what does it do for stocks? And, um, you know, we think yields will be supportive for stocks over the next several months, but it's just hard to make that call, you know, for September when, as you said, Adam, the average, I mean, it's the worst month seasonally. I think the S&P 500 is down about 1% on average in September. If you go back over the past few decades, I see you nodding. So I think I'm recalling that correctly. Yeah, yeah right around uh, there. Yeah. And then uh, even into October, right? October, the month where bear markets go to die, that might, well, that did happen last year, right? We're not trying to get rid of a bear market anymore, but, uh, you know, you tend to see uh, relief rallies in the back half of October. So we we just got about six weeks for a seasonal headwind here um, before we get into a more favorable period. All that's lining up for maybe, a you know, a strong finish for stocks and bonds, uh, at the end of the year, assuming the Fed doesn't get in our way. So that is it for Chart Watch uh, for uh, this week. So thanks, Adam, for bringing those charts to us. Let's talk about the week ahead. 
it is a really busy week. So, um, you know, even though we're kind of winding down summer and it's a big vacation week for folks, uh, the economic calendar is not taking the week off because look at this. Um, I try to just highlight, you know, the data points that I think really matter. And I basically ended up highlighting, you know, more than half this page. <laughs> so kind of takes the meaning away from a highlight when you when you highlight too much. But uh, I mean, I guess you have to start with the Fed's preferred inflation measure because inflation is so important right now to both the bond market and the stock market and the economy. So the core PCE deflator, I, I guess the first thing I'll say on this, you know, the consensus is for the year over year number to rise uh, from 4.1 to 4.2. Don't pay too much attention to that because um, it's just base effects, right? Inflation peaked last year. And so you see as the um, comparison gets tougher uh, for inflation, you tend to get uh, higher year over year numbers. So pay most attention to the month over month, right? If we can string together a bunch of 0.2s, then you're at a good place, right? You're at 2.4 annualized. Uh, so that's, I think, the most important number to watch this week is probably that 0.2. And then the other important uh, numbers to watch are going to be around the jobs report. Uh, actually, I just heard our chief global strategist, uh, Dr. Quincy Crosby on CNBC talking about this earlier today. Wages are really important, right? That's the inflation read through on the jobs report. It's what happens to average hourly earnings. So we want to see that go from 0.4 month over month last month to 0.3. Because uh, if you can annualize a 0.3 at 3.6, but I think I did that math right, that puts you in a good place for wages, right? We don't need wages to go to two. Wages historically are, you know, grow faster than the CPI or the PCE. We want wages to be a little bit faster paced to support consumer spending. 3.6 would be perfect, right? So I'd love to see a, a 0.3 on average hourly earnings. And we'd love to see, you know, see the the economy string together a few more of those uh, over the, the balance of the year. So th those are my two key highlights. But anything else here, uh, Adam, that you would highlight as uh, key for investors to watch? Yeah, I'll be watching the ISM manufacturing data on oh, yeah. Friday as well. That should be interesting. We haven't had a back-to-back -back increase in that data point this year. So we did get an uptick last month for July. We'll see if August follows through. If you think historically, bottoms in ISM manufacturing typically happen with or are around the same period as a bottom in the economy or the stock market, the new orders, especially. So we'll be watching that as well to see if there's any consistency in that data or if it's just another blip that we had some other upticks in the data, but we're still in contractionary territory, the sub 50 reading there, but that's going to be an important one to watch as well. Yeah, good point. Hopefully that's the bottom. You know, typically in recessions, you go south of 43 so if we can bottom in the 46, 47 range, you, you could almost call this a mid-cycle pause uh, and maybe not, you know, maybe a recession is not in the cards. Of course, we could go back up and then come back down again. Uh, it's also worth noting, though, that the economy is not as manufacturing driven as it used to be, right? So, a, you know, a mid-40s ISM used to be a big problem. Uh, now it's not as much anymore. It's really, um, you know, about services. So that's not going to be reported this week, but next week we'll be watching the ISM services, which you could argue is 
even more important in a uh, services economy. But but still, the ISM manufacturing the earnings are more manufacturing driven. So the ISM manufacturing numbers are still uh, really important for uh, corporate America. Beyond that, uh, you know, pending home sales, jobless claims, and consumer confidence. Those numbers are always going to be important. With the um, you know consumer being seventy percent of the GDP calculation, and with housing being such a big piece of uh, consumers' wealth. So we'll always watch. Those numbers, even if we have a lot of highlights, we'll probably continue to highlight <laughs> those numbers uh, each month when, uh, when when they come up. So um, those are some things to watch this week, a very busy week of economic data. Um, we'll also be watching, it's really interesting, the White House is going to announce the 10 uh, drugs that are going to be subject to negotiations uh, for, um, uh, for Medicare. So it's basically like price caps for uh, for 10 key drugs that are going to be first, and then more drugs are going to be uh, subjected to these lower prices later. So this is going to be watched closely, I think, by the, you know, by investors in drug stocks. So, you know, we don't necessarily have, uh, you know, an edge or a prediction or anything about who's coming, but that's going to be, I think, really interesting to watch uh, this this week as well. And it'll probably move some drug stocks around on, on Tuesday. So uh, anything else before we close, Adam? No, I think we got it. All right. Well, great. Um, with that, I'll thank you first, uh, Adam, for uh, joining me for another Market Signals. And thank you to all of our loyal listeners. We we greatly appreciate it. Uh, wish me luck getting the kids up for school. Uh, for all of you who are uh, doing the same, good luck uh, to you as well. And uh, enjoy the last, last few days, I guess, unofficially of summer. So again, thanks for uh, listening to LPL Market Signals. We'll be back with you next week. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.